January 1st, 1863 uh, was a very important day in the life of America. This is the day that Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation to declare that slaves were now free. Uh, Obviously, this is an important date, not just in our nation, but obviously as us as Christians, because we know this, this isn't what the sermon's about. But we know, obviously, based on Scripture, uh, anyone that's created in the image of God is therefore worthy of honor, worthy of respect, and that nothing should hinder based on ethnicity or the, the color of your skin. And so what we see is a very important day in the life of America is that he declared, as Abraham signed this executive order, to say that all slaves are now free. However, while this took place, there's something very interesting, and I could say it this way, there's probably something very sad that took place, is that while this executive order went into action, there were many months and many years that many of the slaves in the South still had no clue that it was even signed. Now, we know this, that obviously nowadays media news spreads very quickly uh, in a matter of seconds. All you have to do is click a button. Uh, you can get on the internet, you can get on social media, you can get on your phone, you can get on TV. Information travels very quickly now. Back then it didn't travel as quickly. But that probably wasn't the main reason. The main reason most likely was probably because of slave owners didn't like it, so they obviously didn't tell their slaves of what, it, what took place. And so one of the things is that as African Americans celebrate their freedom from slavery, they don't celebrate January 1st. Uh, Even though it was signed, even though it was put into law on January 1st, 1863, this is not when they celebrate. The day that they celebrate is entitled, you may recognize this name, Juneteenth. And that is the day that African Americans celebrate freedom from slavery. Now, why is it entitled Juneteenth? It's because of this. Listen to what I uh, wrote down from the internet, and this is what it says. It says, word did not reach African American slaves in Galveston, Texas, until June 19th, hence Juneteenth, 1865, uh, when a force of 2,000 Union soldiers arrived and informed them of their freedom. Think of this. It was signed, Emancipation Proclamation, January 1st, 1863. There were many slaves that didn't hear about it until June 19th, 1865. Over two and a half years went by, and some of them did not know that they were free. Isn't that crazy? That two and a half years went by, they were free, they just didn't know it. They had no clue that something had been signed into law, that they were free and they were no longer slaves. That's crazy. But here's, as I was thinking of this example, I think this is, I see something very similar to us spiritually because I believe this paints a perfect picture of how most believers operate on a consistent basis is this truth right here. That while we know this truth that Christ has set us free, many believers still live as though they are in bonds to sin. That even though because of Christ and what Christ has done and Christ has set us free, many believers still live as though they are enslaved to sin. I can say this, look, I was convicted this week thinking of even my own life. I think many of us in this room intellectually know that because of the work of Christ, we have been set free. We know the scripture says it. We sang about it all morning. But here's what I think, and I see this disconnect in my own life. There's this disconnect between what I know intellectually, what I know theologically, and then practically living out my life. Let me say it this way. There's many of us that we would declare that we are free in Christ, 
But yet on a consistent basis, we still live as though we are in bonds to sin. We still live as though we are enslaved to sin. And what I mean by that is we are constantly giving over to sin time and time again like we are enslaved, but the reality is we're free. And let me say this, this was convicting for me. And this is kind of what we'll look at really all this morning as we look at this beautiful passage in 1 Peter. And and look, I'm convicted I even say this. This is a cop-out. Many of us use this excuse when we talk, last week we talked about holiness and we're to live and call to live differently in holy lives. And usually when we bring that up, here's usually what we say, and I've said this myself. But nobody's perfect. You know what, why we use that phrase, nobody's perfect? We use it as a cop-out to continue to live in sin. That many of us, yes, while it is true, we are not perfect. Here's what's crazy. God, by his power, has given us and freed us so that we can live holy lives. This truth that we saw last week that we're called to live holy, I hope you see this week that you can live lives that are holy. You can do this. And here, if you take notes, here's this main idea, and I hope this is driven home in our hearts. It's a truth I think many of us know in our heads, but I think many of us fail to know it in our hearts, and it's this truth, that you can be holy because the power of Christ has set you free to do it. You can be holy... Because the power of Christ has set you free. This is what I hope you hear this morning. If you, hear, if you don't hear anything else, I hope you know this. Because of the power and work of Jesus, you are free. You are no longer in bonds to sin. God has set you free. It, one of the texts that we, we actually sang it in a song, and Jesus actually declares it in John 8. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Slaves do not remain in the house forever, but the Son remains forever. And then Jesus said this, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Uh, Look, I hope you know the power this morning that is in the power of Jesus and the power of His blood, that if He sets you free, here's what we should know. You, You are free. You don't have to act like it. You are. You are free. And that's what I hope is declared this morning, that in Christ you are free You can live a life that's different. You can live a life that's holy, not by your power, because you've been set free to do it. That that God has given you everything by the power of what he's done. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter. We'll read the passage, and then we'll look through several points this morning to see this powerful truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll look in verses 18 through 21. I'm going to start back in verse 16, but this morning we'll just look at 18 through 21. Verse 16 says this, just to give you context. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the times of the exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in this last time for the sake of you. That through him you are now believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him, talking about Jesus, glory, so that your faith and your hope would be in God. This is a beautiful passage this morning. And here is kind of my desires. I was thinking about it this morning, is we talk about the gospel, the the, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. But here's what I, I hope you see this morning as we talk through this, is that a lot of us know that, that part of it, but to know the implications of the gospel on our life. 
to know that there's freedom, that, that, that practically it should impact how we live our life. And so there's several questions I want to ask this morning, and we'll, we have three points uh, that I want us to walk through, but just several questions to kind of ask. So one is this, is that if we're free, what have we been set free from? And then what have we been set free to, to do? And then lastly, the question is, how did Jesus free us? So how was this freedom paid in our life? So if you take notes, we'll look at the first one, and it's this question of how did or what did Jesus free us from? And number one is this, Jesus freed us from our empty pursuits. Number one, Jesus freed us from our empty pursuits. This is what Peter starts off. He starts off this way, and he says this, verse 18, "...knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways." Now, he starts off and he uses this word knowing, and when he uses this word knowing, he's speaking of this is something that is to take deep root that you are to know without a shadow of a doubt in your life that this is taking place. I said this earlier. I think there's a disconnect. We can know something intellectually, but it not take grip in our hearts and in our life. And here's, in a sense, what he's saying. This word knowing here means not just you intellectually understand it, not that you just intellectually know this truth, but this truth, you have come to know it by experience. You've come to know it because it has taken grips and root in your heart. This has convicted me all week. I don't want to just know... Look, obviously in our minds we need to know sound theology. We need to know it correctly in our minds. But if it never gravitates to our heart and grip our heart to change the way we live, it doesn't matter. Our truth is to transform our mind, but it's to transform our hearts, and it's to change how we live our life. That's exactly what he says. Here's what you need to know, and he says this truth. He says, to know that you are ransomed. Now, what does this word ransom mean? Now, if you were to look up the definition, this is just a simple uh, definition, and it's this meaning to be set free uh, with the payment of a cost. To be ransomed or redeemed means that you are set free but you were set free at a cost. So someone has to pay something. Now, this word is rooted very clearly in the Old Testament. If you were to go back in the Old Testament, this is a theme that runs all throughout the Old Testament. There is this provision that's made in the Old Testament law that if someone were, uh, because of poverty, maybe they had to sell their land, or maybe they had to sell themselves. It gives this provision in the law that if the closest kin or a family member could ransom them or redeem them, in a sense, they could pay for their land and give it back to them or pay for them to get out of slavery to grant them freedom. This is a term that's used often throughout Scripture is that there's this term to be ransomed, to buy, to purchase freedom of somebody, uh, but it comes with a cost. But I think probably the clearest picture of ransom uh, comes from the Exodus. So uh, this is, you see it all throughout the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. Uh, If you remember the story in Exodus uh, that Israel was enslaved to Egypt Because they were enslaved, they had to do all these horrible, terrible work. But one of the things that you see when you get to Exodus is that God, by His power and His wonder, ransomed them or redeemed them and bought them out of slavery so that they could be His people. I'm going to refer to this throughout the sermon because this is probably one of the clearest pictures in all of Scripture to say this is what it looks like to be ransomed. That you were once enslaved, but God, by His power and wonder, has rescued you, has bought you, has freed you from your slavery, and has now given you freedom in Him. This is that whole picture. So he brings up this, he says, knowing this, he says, knowing that you're ransomed, and he says, here's what you've been ransomed from. Here's what you've been freed from. He says, from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Now, we looked at this several weeks ago, um, but I'll repeat it again. 
Every single person in this room, uh, every single person that's ever been born, ever, uh, is born with a sinful nature. I've said it before, no one has to teach you how to do bad. No one has to teach you how to sin. Why? It's because you've inherited this through lineage of line of line all the way leading to Adam in Genesis 3. Because of Genesis 3, everyone born since Adam on is born with the capacity to sin. You were born with a nature to sin. You were born this way. And so that's why he says that you have inherited this from your forefathers. But notice how he says this sinful ways. He doesn't say sinful ways. He uses a different word. He says this. Notice that he's ransomed you from your futile ways. Now, in a sense, what he's saying is sin and sinful ways, the way we used to live, it was futile, meaning this. It was without purpose. It was empty. And it would not satisfy Peter's in a sense saying, look, understand this. Before Christ, or if you do not know Christ, understand this. Your way of living amounts to nothing. It is empty. It is in vain. There is no fruit. There is nothing that comes from a life that does not know God that has been ransomed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Nothing can come from that life. Now, to illustrate that, I think uh, one of my favorite passages that I think portrays this is in Ecclesiastes. Uh, the wisest man in Scripture is Solomon. Uh, well, outside of Jesus, you know. Um, outside of Jesus, Solomon was the wisest man, had wisdom. And one of the things I love about the book of Ecclesiastes is this is kind of at the end of his life. So Solomon, the richest, wisest man that has ever lived outside of Jesus, this wise man comes and basically at the end he writes this memoir basically of saying, hey, I've looked back over all of my life, everything I've done, and he writes this book to say, hey, here's what I, how I could sum everything up. I want you to listen to Solomon's words. This is Ecclesiastes 2. Listen to this. He says this, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly uh, till I might see what is good for the children of men to do under the heaven during their few days they have on the earth. I made great works, I built houses, I planted vineyards for myself, I made for myself gardens and parks, I planted within them all kind of fruit trees, I made for myself pools which to water the forest of growing trees, I bought female and male servants, and I had servants that were born in my house, I had great possessions of herd and flock, and I had more than anyone else before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered to myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I had singers, both men and women, and many concubines to delight the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom also remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all of its toll, and this is the reward for all of my toll. And he says this to end it. He says, Then I considered all that my hand had done. The toll that I expended in doing it, and behold, all of it was vanity. It was striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon makes a very bold claim that I don't think any person in this room can claim. He says, I've literally experienced everything there is to experience. I've experienced it. If there was a pleasure, I had it. If there was money, I had it. If there was fame, I had it. Literally, he experienced any and every pleasure, any and every experience. He says, I've experienced everything. He said, I tested it all. I, 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 whatever it was, he says, I did not hold my hands back from doing it. I experienced literally everything. And here's what's crazy. At the end of all of it, he says, I did, ev- I did it all. 
He says, here's what I, how I could sum it all up. It was all meaningless and it was all empty. Uh, let me say this. Ecclesiastes, if you read, it's very depressing. Because basically he says, look, I did everything. I acquired money. I was successful. I was famous. I had wisdom. I had knowledge. I had any and everything that we would aspire to want. He says, you know what? At the end of the day, it's all just meaningless. It's pointless and it's empty. That's depressing, isn't it? Because let's be honest, that's what we all want. Be successful, have tons of money, be able to do any and everything that we would want to do, to, to, to travel, to do experiences. I mean, just think of all the things we could do if we have all the money in the world. He says, you know what? You sum it all up, it all just means nothing. Now, let me insert this in. I'm not saying Solomon was never happy. I'm sure there were times when Solomon was happy, okay? I'm sure there was times where he had a good time. So I'm not, I don't want to say that he was just miserable and he sat in his room and cried all the time because I doubt that happened. I doubt there were times that he felt satisfied. I bet there were times where he was happy. But here's what he's saying. It never truly lasted. I constantly had to get more. I constantly had to, had to run after more, and it never satisfied. I've seen that in my own life. I remember my first job I ever had. I worked at my old high school, uh, Rearfield Academy, and I remember I worked as the, well, I did just about everything, I guess, there. It was several of us high school guys worked there, and we worked for, I remember, five fifteen an hour, which was awesome. I remember you'd work like a whole week, work all day, and you'd get like $150, 200 bucks at the end of the week. You're like, this is awesome. This is, this is what work's all about, right? I mean, this is, I remember the first thing I bought, I think I bought like a stereo. Who buys stereos anymore? But I remember I bought a stereo because I had all this money flowing in from my, my summer job. I remember this. I remember thinking as I was making this, I was like, this is awful. I remember the next summer I worked for my dad at his law firm. I remember I did all the, all the guys' yard work, but they paid me five fifteen an hour. So I remember I worked, it was this one guy, I worked five hours in his yard doing ridiculous things, and he paid me $25. I remember I told dad, like, dad, we got to figure something out because this is, it's not working. And, and I remember thinking then, man, how, how awesome would it be if I could make more money? Like, how much better it would be? But I remember my next job, I made more. I remember when I was in college, I worked at a law firm, made $10 an hour. But I remember thinking, like, it would be awesome to make more. I remember all along my life, as I've seen different jobs take place, I've made more than my, than my previous job. But you know what's never left? I've always wanted more. You know this? i, I just let you know I don't. If I were to make a million dollars here, I don't. Okay, so please don't, please don't take that away. If I were to make a million dollars, I can guarantee this, I would still want more. It's it's interesting in our own life, and here's in a sense what Peter is saying, is here's what God has redeemed you from. Is you could sum up your entire life is this, is constantly looking to things to satisfy your heart, but it never will. And here's what's amazing about this humongous truth. He says this, Jesus Christ has ransomed you and redeemed you and freed you from that old way of living. That no longer do you have to live from thing to thing to look for satisfaction in different places, whether it's an identity, whether it's a job, whether it's a person, whatever, whether it's a pleasure, a sin. He says you no longer have to do this. Think of this truth. Right now, every single one of us, if you claim to know Jesus, if you claim to be saved, think about this. You are free. Your sin no longer has hold on your life. You no longer have to walk in it. You no longer have to live in it. You no longer have to return to it. 
You are free, as we said earlier. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Isn't that crazy to think about? But let me ask this question. Do we live that way? Do we really live like we're free? Do we really live like I don't have to go to all these things to affirm me? I don't have to go to these things to give me pleasure? I don't have to go to these things that will give me empty satisfaction? Do we really live that way? Or do we live this truth that we see in Scripture that you have been freed and ransomed from your old way of living? You don't have to go back. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to live in the bonds of sin. Do we live that way? If I was honest, even in my own life, I I see it in my own life, that I know the truth I'm free, but I still live many times like sin still has a hold on my life. And that's not true. Recently, I was talking with someone, and it really opened my, my mind. And um, I don't know, let, let, me, let me use this example, see if you can relate. Has there ever been, and I would say for most of us, now we're not going to have confession time, like we're going to have to come up and talk in the mic or anything, so don't worry. Is there something, think right now in your life, that you would say, there's something in my life that I've literally struggled with, sin, my entire life? It's been a constant Maybe I've seen victories every now and then, but I've, I've, I've lived with this sin in my life all throughout my life. Maybe you've said this even in your own life, and I know I've said it in mine, of I'm probably going to struggle with this sin or these sins for the rest of my life. Do you know that's straight from the pit of hell? If Jesus Christ really freed us, guess what that means? We're free. I don't have to walk in it anymore. It no longer has hold on my life anymore. The only way that it does is if I run back to it. Uh, This is a a crazy example. I'm going to go back to Egypt. Think about Egypt. Think about Israel. They were redeemed from slavery. They're free. They're living with God. Here's what's crazy. If you read uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's something that's said throughout this time. There's several times where the Israelites begin to complain and says, I wish we could go back, meaning go back to Egypt and live in slavery. That makes zero sense. I mean, you read that, you're like, these people are literally insane and they're idiots. They were in slavery. They're out, but they want to go back. That makes zero sense. But here's what's crazy. You and I do that all the time. That literally all the time, we have been set free by the power of Christ, but yet many of us return back to the things we've been set free from. Here's what's crazy. You're free of it. I mean, this is a power, similar to last week, we talked about one of the things, if we want to live lives that are holy, we have to get our thinking right. And I think one of the ways we need to get our thinking right is to let this sink into our minds and our hearts. You are free from sin if you are in Christ. You don't have to walk in it. You don't have to live in it anymore. You don't have to live defeated by it anymore. Why? Because, let me say this, think about the testimony that happens if we proclaim, you know what, the power of Jesus set me free, but yet I still live in bondage. Think how that looks about Jesus and his power. I'll say this. Here's what a lot of the world will think. Well, obviously he's not that powerful. Because if you proclaim that he's free, but yet you still live as though you're in bondage to sin, his blood and his, and his uh, sacrifice on the cross must not be that powerful. Think of the testimony we are putting out by saying, I'm free, but I still live like everyone else. Because of the power of Jesus and the cross, you have been set free completely.
man, all week as I was walking through this, made me want to shout, made me want to cry. You're free. You don't have to live in bondage. That sin that has plagued your life for your whole entire life, you're free of it in Christ. Hmm. There's also another thing of not just that you're free from something, but the next point moves into this idea is that you're also free to do something. You're not just free from something, but you're free to something. That leads to point number two, and it's this. Jesus Christ freed us to live for God. Jesus Christ freed us to live to God. He not only freed us from our past and from our sin and from our empty ways, but He also freed us to do something. He freed us to live and pursue a relationship with God. Look what He says in verse 20. He says this. He, talking about Jesus, it says this, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now, as it's talking about Jesus, obviously we understand this. The plan for Jesus to come on, uh, to come into the earth to rescue humanity was not an afterthought. Uh, very clearly it says here that it was actually a forethought. That it was not plan B, it was plan A. That even before the foundation of the world, Jesus and the Lord, they knew what would happen. They knew sin would enter the picture. And so it says even before the foundation, before the world was ever created, the plan for Jesus to come and die was already set in stone. Jesus was already coming. And it says this, He came and was made manifest in the last time, meaning that He came and He appeared on the earth. He wrapped Himself in humanity. The Word became flesh. And here's what I love. It gives the motivation for why Jesus Christ came. And it says this, For, for your sake. Jesus Christ wrapped Himself in humanity and came to a sinful world. Why? For you. For me. To ransom us. To free us. And He goes down and says this, and this is amazing. He says this, Because of this, who through him you are now believers in God. He says, he raised him, talking about Jesus from the dead, gave him glory so that your faith and that your hope would be in God. In a sense, what he's trying to say is, is that God not only, or through Jesus and the work of Jesus, he didn't just free you from sin, but he also freed you to live a life that pursues God. He freed you to have your hope set in God. He freed you to live for him, to serve him, to obey him, freed you to be able to please God. Scripture says this very clearly. Before God, we were not able to please God. Now, because of the power of Jesus, we can live a life that pleases God. We can live a life. We've been free to live this kind of life. Let me ask this question to see if you can relate to this. Have you ever known a Christian or read about one? Um, Maybe someone, a missionary, maybe someone that you've ever seen someone or read about someone and you're like, I wish I could live a Christian life like that. Like sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way about the Christian life, sometimes it just feels like a struggle all the time. And then you look at some people and the way that they live their Christian life or some missionaries or different people and you're like, man, they just feel like they have it all together. When they talk to God, it feels like God just listens. It just the way that they live their life, they're so devoted to, to the Lord that they're willing to give their life up for Him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at people and I'm like, I wish I could be that way. Have you ever done that? You may not have, but maybe you've looked at people and says, I wish I could do that. Like, I wish I could devote my life to him. I wish I could, I wrote several instances, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could make a difference like them. I wish I could give like them. I wish I could love and show grace and mercy to forgiveness to people. I wish I could live a life that resembles Jesus. Here's the awesome truth. Because of the power of Jesus, you can. 
God freed you from your old empty pursuits, but he also freed you to be able to do something. He freed you to be able to live a life that pleases God. He freed you so that your life would no longer be your own and you could actually begin to live a life that pleases God. Uh, To me, that's crazy. I wrote several of these statements down. Listen to this. Because of Jesus and the power of Jesus, you now can have a deep and meaning relationship with God. You can live and give sacrificially. You can live a life filled with hope and joy. You can live empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can live for the kingdom of God and not your kingdom. You can live a life to lead others to Christ. You can do this. Why? Not because you're strength, not because you're awesome, because the power of Christ has freed you to be able to do it. You now have the power to live a life that pleases God. You can have a deep and meaning relationship with God. You can have a connection with God like, like maybe you says, I wish I could. You can. Why? Because the power of Jesus has set you free to live a life that pleases Him, a life that seeks Him, a life that's not filled with empty things but meaningful things. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I was thinking about it this morning. Have you ever went on, it could be Go Day, as we'll have next week, or have you ever been on a mission trip, or have you ever been domestic or foreign country or been part of a ministry, where when you do it, you have this mentality of, I'm going on a mission trip, I'm doing mission work, and I want to obviously share the love of Jesus. I hope to bless these people. But have you ever noticed, and I've noticed this times on mission trips and doing mission projects, that when I get back, there's always this feeling that I have of I sought to bless other people, but in turn, I actually was blessed myself. And actually, people make this statement a lot when they go on mission trips or do different mission projects or serve in ministry of actually I got a greater blessing going myself than I feel like I actually gave out and minister to people. Now, why is that? Why is it that when you mission projects, serve in a ministry, go on a foreign mission trip, go on a mission trip here in America, why is it that when you get back, you always feel so full? Because that's what it's like to live a life not focused on yourself. That's what it feels like and looks like to live a life to not build your kingdom, but to build his kingdom. Every time, it never fails. When I return from a mission trip, I always feel full. I remember going to Honduras and just extreme poverty. I remember I was dirty. I remember I didn't have hardly a shower at all. I'm sure on the plane everybody was like, I hope this dude moves because he stinks. But I remember for some reason when I got home, I just felt so full. What's crazy is that God has freed us to live like that every single day. God, by His power and by His Son, has freed us to be able to live a life that is not seeking for our kingdom, but to seek the spreading of God's kingdom. He rescued us and freed us to live a life that actually pleases God. Isn't that crazy? Here's one of the things I thought and I missed last week, so forgive me. Usually when we think of holiness, we just think of this idea of not doing stuff. That's a part of it. There's also a whole other side of holiness that God frees us to do of actually living a life that pleases God. That's just as much part of holiness as not is refraining from things. And one of the things that we see very clearly is that God, by His power, has freed us to live a life, to seek God, to live a life that pleases God. But lastly, this last question that I want to ask, and we'll look at this last point. How did, you, how did God, how did Jesus do this? How did He free us? From our old ways? How did He free us from our sin? How did He free us to be able to live a life 
that um, pleases God. And it's number three, it's this. Jesus freed us by his, by his precious blood. Jesus Christ freed us by his precious blood. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says this. Knowing that you were ransomed from, your, from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefather. And he says this. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He says very clearly, here's where it's all rooted in. The reason why you can be free, the reason why you can live free from sin, the reason why you can live free to live a life that pleases God, it's all hinging on the blood of Christ. Let me just say this. If you're not a believer or if you're not used to church and you were to walk into church service and hear people sing about the blood all the time, I understand that could be weird. I've grown up in church and I've never thought that's weird, but I understand now thinking about someone who doesn't know Jesus and you see these people singing about blood all the time. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Why in the world would we sing about blood all the time? That's kind of weird, kind of creepy. Why would we sing about blood? Well, there's a reason why we sing about blood. is because it is because of blood that you have been redeemed and ransomed. He says this, and usually when he refers, and when Scripture refers to the blood of Jesus, obviously he's referring to his physical blood, but here's what he refers to, is this whole thing to look at the picture of his crucifixion and his death. When he says the blood of Jesus, he's referring to the whole sacrificial act that Jesus Christ did. Meaning this, as you think of the blood of Jesus, to remember this truth, that Jesus Christ, who was without sin, was actually convicted and actually sentenced to die death of a murderer. He goes, he is beaten, he's flogged, his flesh is stripped from him. His blood is constantly pouring out. I'm sure as he was where he was flogged and obviously walks to Golgotha, there is blood everywhere. As he goes to Golgotha, if you remember, there's humongous nails. They're driven in both of his hands. They're driven in his feet. They lift him on a cross. He suffocates and die with these humongous thorns that are crushed in his skull. He's sitting there suffocating to death. His blood is spewing out. Why? Because as Shane referred to it earlier, and this is in Hebrews The only way you can be forgiven of your sin is by the shedding of blood. There's a reason why Jesus' blood, why it says it's precious. Why? Because it is the precious Son of God who was completely perfect and willingly offered His blood and His life in exchange for yours. And here's what's amazing. We sing about it, we talk about it. There's amazing power in the precious blood of Christ. There is nothing more powerful in all the world than the precious blood of Jesus. Actually, there's, uh, if you go back in the Old Testament, there's actually in Isaiah, there's this uh, prophecy that Isaiah predicts. And he predicts, in a sense, what Peter says is that you cannot be ransomed by things of this world. You can't be ransomed, your soul cannot be ransomed with gold can be ransomed with silver. He actually says this in Isaiah 52, verse 3. Isaiah says this, For thus says the Lord, You are sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed or ransomed without money. There's nothing in this world that can redeem you. There's nothing in this world that can ransom you. But here's what I love. Immediately in chapter 53, he immediately goes into this. I want you to listen to this. He's speaking of Jesus, speaking about the precious blood that will be spilled. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 53. He says this, For he, talking about Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant, 
And like a root out of the ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look upon him. We had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. He was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one who as men had hidden their faces, he was despised and they esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquity, and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are now healed. In all, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. Like sheep before the shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. For his generation, he was considered he was cut off from the land of the living. Stricken by the transgression of people. They made him a grave with the wicked, with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet for the will of the Lord was to crush him. And he has put upon him our grief. With his soul an offering for guilt, we shall see his offspring. And we shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, he says this, making many to be accounted as righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. As we read about this and we talk about what Christ did, he gave his life, he gave his blood, he gave everything that he had to free you, to free me. Do we live like it? If we really sing about His blood is that powerful, really say what Scripture says, that His, 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 His life, His death, His resurrection is really indeed that power, do we live that? Do we live as we're people that are free? We don't have to live in sin anymore. We can actually live a life that pleases God, that doesn't please ourselves, that doesn't please other people. We can live a life that pleases our God. And this is what's crazy. It all hinges on the precious blood of Christ. He bled for you to free you. My question that I ask myself all week, my question I ask you is, do you live as though you are free? Because in Christ you are. No matter what Satan's lied to you and told you, it's not true. A sin in your life that you said, I'm going to struggle with my whole life, it's not true. Why? It's because the blood of Jesus is really that powerful. It has the power to free you, to loosen the grips of sin on your life. and has the power to enable you to live a life that pleases God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of invitation. I know this, and I say this every week, but I obviously believe this about this past this demands a response if we think about the precious blood of christ the implications that it has on our life this demands a response now typically what we do on the last sunday of the month we always participate in communion we participate in the lord's supper as you know as we enter into the lord's supper jesus at passover meal says this he took his disciples he was about to go to the cross he takes bread and he breaks it he says understand this this is my body that is broken for you 
He takes the cup and he says, this is my blood that is poured out for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me, meaning this, that every time we take communion, every time we come to the Lord's table, we are to reflect and remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we're constantly, this is why we do it so often. Why? It's to remind ourselves what Jesus Christ did for us. I don't know about you, I forget a lot. It's almost like he's saying this. And when he says knowing, this is something we're to know and be reminded of every single day of our life. That Jesus Christ has freed you. Jesus Christ has freed you in your life and you don't have to live in bondage anymore. So this morning, what we're going to do in the Lord's table, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I want to give every single person, as you sit there, time to reflect on the, on the, on the crucifixion and the death of Christ. There's going to be a deacon at every table. And after there's time in your own heart where you have time, maybe it's a time of worship for you. Maybe it's a time, even as 1 Corinthians says this, maybe it's a time of repentance. Maybe it's a time to examine your life. Maybe it's a time to repent and say, Lord, forgive me for constantly living as though I'm in sin even though you've set me free of it. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's as you reflect on this to recognize that maybe you're still not free, that you don't know Christ. So here's what I want to say. I'm going to pray. You're going to have time to, to process, to reflect on the death of Christ. Shane's going to play. And then as you are ready, you're going to walk up and take communion. There's no instructions. You go just like you take the bread. You take it just as the juice. You don't have to wait on someone to point at you. No one's going to walk down the aisle. We have two up here. We have two located in the back. And we have one actually upstairs if you're upstairs. So whichever is closest, whatever you feel more comfortable, spend time reflecting on the work of Christ. Then as you come to the table, this is a time of worship. It's a time of weeping. It's time of repenting. It's time of rejoicing to reflect and remember that our Savior was crushed and broken and His blood was spilled to free you and I from sin and death.